Welcome to the Dunrush and Company podcast. I'm Kevin Dunn, co-founder of Dunrush and Company, and I'm sitting down today with my good friends, Tom Sherwin, president and CEO of CEO Resources, Inc., and Larry Siff, CEO of Neptune Advisors and C-Level Community. We're gonna talk about some interesting results from our recent executive coach and consultant survey, where we asked how their owner CEO clients of privately held companies responded to the unique challenges presented by COVID-19 and their priorities in 2021. Welcome, Tom and Larry. Thanks so much for talking with me today about this. Why don't you each take a minute to tell the audience what your business does and how engaged you are with owners and CEOs. Tom, why don't you start? Sure. I'm Tom Sherwin at CEO Resources. My firm has been advising CEOs and boards of directors on CEO coaching, strategy, corporate governance, and business challenges for over 30 years. I've also chaired the CEO Resources Forum, a dedicated CEO peer group that's been meeting monthly uh, for 25 years. Okay. Larry? Yes, I'm Larry Smith, um, CEO of Neptune Advisors and C-Level Community. Uh, we're happy to be celebrating our 10th year. We're an advisory firm made up of all experienced former operators, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, middle market companies. And um, we focus on elevating companies to next level of profitable growth because we've all been there and done that. And with C-Level Community, we offer online experts, blogs, and surveys weekly, and offline a thought leadership series where a Harvard Business School professor interviews CEOs one-on-one. Our next speaker is the co-founder of Moderna, Dr. Derek Rossi. And we have over 400 members in our community, and through this and Neptune, I'm constantly engaged with owners and CEOs. Great. Two of you are very experienced. So let me ask you this. According to our survey, 53% of owners and CEOs of businesses have felt significantly elevated levels of stress in their business and personal lives due to the events of this past year. Is this consistent with what each of you have seen? And do you see this changing the timeline of potential sale transactions for the businesses you work with? I don't know, Tom, if you want to lead off. Sure. Yes, I, this is a topic that's uh, been very clear to me with my individual coaching clients. Uh, the strategic plans that we're working on right now have been somewhat disrupted, but mostly at the CEO forum, a group of 10 CEOs that meet every month. They, when the COVID hit, all of a sudden we met uh, every Tuesday. We met every Tuesday probably for five months. And I think it was as much a... Um, peer group counseling session or consoling session. My theory is that there have been um, eight different stages of the COVID CEO uh, journey. First one is panic. The second one was fear. The third one was PPP slash hope. The fourth one was employee exit from the building and in some cases layoffs and terminations. The fifth one was securing the revenue stream. The next one was rethinking the business model and operating perhaps in an entirely new environment. The vaccine era provided a really bright spot and now it's the plan to return to work. So that's eight different things that have gone on in the CEO experience. 
uh, along with you know personal financial risk, uh, upset at home, probably working from home, children's out of school. Um, this is uh, a challenging area for CEOs that I think we'll be talking about for the rest of my career. And Larry's much younger than I am, so he'll be talking about it even longer. <laughs> So you know, so, when you said experience before, Kevin, you obviously are talking in terms of our age. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a similar experience. I, I mean, I think the pandemic was an extremely disruptive force because it was an overnight event, right? Literally employees being sent home. The internet wasn't set up properly for a lot of the employees, security issues, uh, leadership had to step forward. It's a black swan event. And then you had to manage in a world where employees weren't together. So companies had to lead with purpose and a strong ethical compass. And they had to first focus on one, two, and three, the safety of their employees. And this pandemic, I think, really challenged all the norms where technology, some better, some worse for companies, really had to be leveraged. And that I think companies that had that were diversified had an advantage over ones that were not diversified in this. But um, and we also saw some things we hadn't seen before, which is industries that were competitors became collaborators just to benefit sort of the common whole. So as I think about it, like how do you create a pathway to success with these dynamics? And it really became stakeholders over shareholders. So if you think about in the past, you might have just been focusing on profits. Now you're focusing on what are we going to do about our employees? What do we do about our vendors? And then as, as Tom points out, rightly so, cash, cash, cash. And you know, watching the cash very carefully, we were able to help and work with a number of our clients to help them get PPP loans because a lot of that became the relationships with the banks. Um, that said, there were some companies and some owners that experienced some medical issues during this whole thing. And, you know, they finally thought about implementing succession planning that they should have been doing, honestly, all along, where they all of a sudden elevated people or they brought in a president or a COO or EVPs. Um, but I don't see many changing the timeline. You were asking that of mm -hmm. a potential sale here. Um, I did see concern about how long they'd stay in the position and concern about if the financial numbers didn't come out that strong this year, what would be the impact on the value of the business if and when they were to sell it. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'll, I'll tune in on the back end of that by saying that when you look at my list of eight stages, uh, you notice that, that none of them were considering selling, buying any kind of M&A transaction during that during that period uh i i just refer to this as a, a era of distraction and has it sped up or slowed down ceos considerations of their futures i think we've just been too distracted to even consider these things which are global in nature strategic in nature as compared to larry's good list there of the tactical um, considerations impinging on the amount of time they have to think of, of anything else other than what is immediately in front of them. I think I'm stating the obvious, but uh, from your comments and your work with the CEOs that are your clients, their stress level was elevated, just like the, the survey uh, came back, right? No doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on. 
the consultants we surveyed said that about 40% of their clients' businesses have already recovered to or exceeded pre-pandemic run rates, which, you know, found that pretty, well, optimistic. Uh, is that what you're both experiencing as well? Go ahead, Larry. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, first of all, that means 60% didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I read that, Kevin, the 40% that said that the recovery exceeded. But anyway, you know, I found and we found it was very much industry and company dependent, right? So if you think about retail, hospitality, restaurants, where you have fixed costs, you have dependency on traffic coming in and out the door and then how much they actually spend. And, um, you know, so you had restaurants that were focused very much on survival, not thriving, but survival, and they owned their own real estate. And that was an advantage over ones that had to deal with and negotiate with all the landlords and paying rent. You had those that had to adopt very quickly to delivery, delivery, delivery when they weren't accustomed to doing that or operating within 2,500 square feet when they used to operate and have the overhead of 8,000 square feet, sort of like the best of menus. And in the opposite end, you have ones that were more than surviving, thriving in this, the food companies, suppliers to grocery stores, grocery stores themselves, e-commerce companies, I serve on boards of those, and um, and companies supplying medical supplies, ranging from Mass to Purell, who just absolutely exploded, or alcohol even, that um, we have some of our clients in the alcohol area that they were doing double and triple, more than triple their sales during this time. So I think that the pandemic overall um, accelerated also for a number of companies, things they should have been doing over the years, right? So some of these companies have been talking literally for years about this factory wasn't performing, we need to close it. Pandemic gave them uh, the ability to be able to do it and the impetus for them to do that. And the other thing that happened is the layoffs, which obviously were extremely unfortunate for those who were laid off. But what happened as a result of that is a number of companies, I think, realized that they could operate more efficiently, more effectively, more productively than before. So, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised in terms of when you say about 40 percent have already recovered or exceeded, because I think a lot had been able to pivot and reposition. Mm -hmm. and I'll turn it to Tom now. Yeah, good, good points. So I, I have a <clears throat> area where Larry and I are in uh, complete agreement. Um, it really has depended upon uh, just the luck of the strategic focus of the of the company uh, as the perturbations of pandemic, you know, whipsawed the economy around. Larry and I were agreeing yesterday that it really depends if you, these uh, these consultants who are reporting. Uh, the forty percent who are at or above prior uh, performance, uh, it, it's for the consultants responding to the survey. Really, the mix of clients they happen to have. I don't. I I can't say that I have forty percent. I mean, maybe Larry's got all forty percenters, but uh, <laughs> you know, I like Larry. You know, I have a restaurant group, and I have um, other other industry segments, jewelry segment they are have really struggled in the midst of of all of this and then i have uh, a um, automotive uh, aftermarket uh, parts company that has never seen the demand that they're that they're enjoying now 
and so much so that we just helped them to uh, establish a uh, cross-border Mexican operation uh, under the IRS laws and whatnot in order to gain access to a, a substantial number of welders who they can't seem to find in the existing economy. As for the people who are um, on the you know lucky side of the end of this, uh, there's some some sense in, in my uh, experience right now that we are in a clearly in a recovery phase, but that doesn't mean that the confident, uh, directed attitude of the CEOs presenting to their employees and customers, media and so on, is entirely uh, as it as it appears. I think that there's a uh, quiet uh, reservations about what we have going on, about the possibility of variants taking us backward, uh, about opening too soon, about states that are, are abandoning masking and other social distancing and other te- techniques that they, they should be using. So um, I'll wait for December 31st and hope that that, that 40% becomes the 60%. But in the meantime, uh, the counseling of my coaching clients, which is partly where my, this reservations observation is coming from, They're, the numbers are all there. Some of the elements that Larry's talking about, that when they laid off, you know, such a large number of people, they cut their overhead dramatically. They lived on their on their AR uh, spinning along for the next ninety days or, or or whatever, and then they found themselves in a situation where the it because every single entity in the nation has the same tragedy at the same time, hitting at the same time. You know, nobody thought it was unusual. They went totally to Zoom and didn't go to trade shows or or so on. And so there's, you know, profitability is is something, maybe something of a mirage. And so that's the point that I add to Larry's observations. Um, And I think that CEOs are wise to be considering the, okay, this is going along really nicely. What's my 90-day plan? What's my six-month plan? What's my two-year plan? Um, thinking about where we'll be five years from now right at the moment may be uh, too much to ask. So the consultant's response to this question and their answer, uh, it sounds like it's really a function of what industry their clients are in. If, yep. they're, if they were a consultant to the airline industries or industries, they would not be in the 40% bucket. Yeah, better to be in the autumn. Like I say, the, I don't know if you follow the used car market, but last last twelve months, used car prices have uh, rapidly accelerated up into the nineteen percent, twenty percent improvement. Um, and part of that has to do with uh, availability of new cars, which has been somewhat constrained by the lack of integrated circuits to to drive the today's you know computer on wheels that we all have. By the same token, uh, we have other other elements that are clear winners and may continue to be clear winners. A whole element that Larry referred to this too, of the e-commerce boom, that's that's not going away. Zoom's not going away. Uh, maybe some of these um, evolutions were gonna happen in the next five or 10 years anyway, that they've suddenly been sped up by mass acceptance that we all just say, I'm adopting. Right, and I mean, if you look at industries, you gotta sort of follow the whole supply chain, each end of it, right? So if people aren't driving their cars as much, they're not turning in their cars as much, the leases aren't as much, right? They're not buying new cars. I mean, then who who gets favored in it? It's the used car industry. Same with airlines, not just the airlines. I mean, 
Logan Airport was down 97%, 97% of traffic. Yeah. And, you know, now it's down like 70% and starting to go, you know, high there, but still huge, huge numbers. And when you look at just the impact, so we have clients, for instance, a very large client that's in the event industry out in Vegas. Can you imagine the impact of theirs? I mean, they had events, some, you know, 30,000, 40, 50, 60,000 people that came in for the events. Not only are they not coming in and not renting the halls and all the food and beverage, I mean, everything that gets associated gets affected all the way up and down the lines. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to a uh a observation or a, a results from the survey that really surprised uh, my partner Greg Rush and myself. But probably the most alarming discovery we found in our survey is that two thirds of the consultants asked said that over 50% of the owners that they work with are unaware of how the potentially significant increase in the capital gains tax rate, which is being proposed by the Biden administration, would impact the net proceeds they would receive from a sale of their business. Why is that? It, it just struck Greg and I just incredible that they could not be uh, aware of that. And what considerations should owners and CEOs who may be thinking about a sale take to plan accordingly? Uh, Tom, you want to start? Well, I take us back to my uh, eight stages. And what I something I didn't mention is that um, any particular CEO, any particular company can be at, at any one of those stages. We're not all at not stage eight plan return to work. There, there are companies that are still dealing with PPP2 or with uh, employee exit and return issues. Uh, securing the revenue stream and so on. So that's the way I'm laying the groundwork for my reaction to this when we talked about it before, um, which I think that CEOs are very distracted. And so the issue of taxation of gains on sale is material only if you're contemplating a sale. And right now, I think that we have, in many cases, uh, feeling pretty lucky to have survived. And so we're back in the you know panic survival stage back uh, at the beginning of my numbers here for, for a lot of companies and for some you know it they're in a different opportunity stage so the fact that some of the C, some of the ceos are, are aware of it maybe because there's a sense of uh, predetermined progress toward a deal and this is just carrying it on i have a company that was uh, on the verge of selling an operation in Europe and it all got put on hold. And now just in the last week, the parties have come back together again and started talking about let's, let's close this deal and go forward. So it's really a matter of timing and a matter of priorities. What do you think, Larry? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I, I, there were a number of owners last year that were focused on what was happening in the estate planning end of it. So we saw a number of them do some things estate planning wise that made sense. I didn't hear them talking about the capital gains. And I almost feel like, Kevin, there should have been a better education out there, whether, you know, to be accountants being educated or all the estate planning and other attorneys were advising it because it was not front and center in terms of that. 
I mean, if you think about it and it's, you know, in selling a business, I always believe is often emotional thing for, yeah. for a number of particularly these owners. It's not just let's put down the numbers and it's a rational thing. It tends to be an emotional thing and they have to be both emotionally ready and, and fiscally ready. And I, I think that, you know, if they had understood that there were clear benefits, the cost benefits of selling now or considering the NERD term versus if you sell at a later point, you're going to end up getting a lower price. Like that should have been an education. I just didn't see much of that out there. And I wasn't hearing that. I was hearing about, oh, the estate planning, you know, if that goes up, the exemptions go up, we got to transfer. So they were doing a lot of that. So I'm hearing both of you say that the, the owners slash CEOs are still busy digging out from the pandemic, you know, varying degrees depending on their industry. Because if you just look at the numbers, and again, we're sort of numbers, you know, guys, uh, if the tax, if the capital gains rate does double, and let's say it is effective, uh, you know, Jan 1 of 2022, if you sell your business after Jan 1 of 2022, you're going to have to sell it for 30% higher than if you sold it today. So that means you're going to have to work longer, you're going to have to work conceivably harder, and you have to be hopeful that the M&A market is going to be as good, you know, two, three, four years out as it is now, which is a very favorable market. So anyway, that's, that's why we were surprised more people haven't zeroed in on that. We're going to avoid politics here, it's not a political statement. But in a prior, in our prep conversation, uh, Larry and I agreed that um, even even our motivated CEOs and aware CEOs may may set that aside, given all the other priorities in Washington, the big infrastructure bill that is now the next thing on the agenda. And I realize the infrastructure bill that requires funding, and that's where we get into why these taxes might go up. Right. What do you think, Larry? Yeah, no, I mean, we discussed that. It's sort of a probability analysis right now. That could change post-midterm elections if the, you know, the amount, number of Democrats versus Republicans changes over time. But I, I get back to, Tom, what you were saying before. It's sort of the, the Benjamin Franklin expression about a small leak will sink a great ship, right? And this isn't like leaks over time. This is like, wow, for these companies. And... You know, if you're facing a situation where you're just so disrupted and so and, and so suddenly disrupted, I, I don't think there are any companies that were expecting this or anticipating anything like COVID happening to them and affecting their business in this way, that the focus and the priorities isn't necessarily on, oh, let's put up our business for sale right now. You know, the one last point I'll make on that is, you know, in my list of eight, number five was secure the revenue stream. And what I didn't mention is that that's on both sides. The, the supply chain, I have a client, one client situation where they're good and the and their customers demand is good. The source of supply, which happens to be in China, is a at significant risk at, the, at this point. So you can't really sell something to your customer if you don't have the materials to make the product that they seek. Talk about another big distraction that also affects the perceived value of my business. I can't offer to sell my business to somebody when I, I don't have a good story right now. 
Right. And, and we deal with that. I mean, I chair the Asian American Chamber of Commerce. So we deal with that a lot. We deal with both companies that are in, in doing business in Asia and we have a number of clients. And I mean, even, you know, everyone reads, oh, the ship is stuck in Suez Canal. But then you start talking to your client, you as, oh, by the way, I have, you know, $40 million in apparel that's stuck behind that in the ship. Or you talk to, you know, what's going on on the West Coast right now. And, you know, realize the West Coast represents over half of all the ships coming into our country. And they've got 70, 80 million dollars being tied up. But, you know, tied up, what most people don't understand is tied up means it's going to be late. And if it arrives in late, wherever you're distributing, whether it's going to the retail store itself, that becomes problematic in and of itself because it doesn't work. It doesn't work in terms of the ability to flow it through the system either. So it has other implications there. Tom, Larry, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and insights. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. You can read more about our survey on our website at dunrush.com or reach out directly with any thoughts or questions you may have. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for inviting us. Bye-bye. Bye.